Good morning. Uh, my name is Joe. I'm one of the, the five elders who serve here, and it's, it's my great joy and honor to, to speak from, from God's word. Um, as, as you heard, right, our, our text today is Galatians 5, 16 through, through 26. And would you, would you pray with me as I seek to encourage and exalt us all in Christ? Let's pray. Giver of all life, Father, Son, and Spirit, I beg you to be active among us as we examine your most holy word. Guard our hearts from falsehoods and instruct us in your truth, for it is the truth, namely Christ, that sets us free. Let us hear from you today and let your will be done among us here even now. And as we go from here to live our lives in the world just as your will is done perfectly in heaven. Hear our prayer, O Lord, and come to our aid in our great need because we need you, Father. We need you so much. Amen. All right, so, so far in the book of, of Galatians, uh, we have seen at least four different, this is a, a, a big word, for our treasure seekers, dichotomies, dichotomies. And already I hear one of my kids leaning over to me and asking, how do you spell dichotomy? So that they can write it in their treasure seeker book and ask. But I'm just gonna go ahead and tell you how it's spelled, right? It's D-I-C-H-O-T-O-M-Y. And the way you should think about these dichotomies in in um, the book of Galatians is, is basically the exact same way that the, the Oxford English Dictionary defines a dichotomy. And it's a division or it's a contrast between two things that are, that are or are represented as being opposed uh, or entirely different, right? Uh, to put it in terms that maybe we all understand, this is a classic difference between the light side of the force and the dark side of the force. No Sith can be a Jedi, and no Jedi can be a Sith. You have to turn from the dark side, or you have to turn from the light side. You have to leave the path of one in order to be part of the other. And even more broadly speaking, right, this is the very difference between light and dark itself. Just as where there is darkness, there is no light, uh, so too, where there is light, there is no darkness. A room that is dark has no light, and a room that is light has no dark. So in other words, a dichotomy, kids, is just a fancy way of saying that things are opposite of each other. They're opposed. They fight each other. And so far in Galatians, Paul has introduced to us at least four of these dichotomies. The first was between the true gospel and the not the gospel from Galatians 1, 6 through 9. He introduced another uh, dichotomy between hearing with faith and works, this principle of promise in 3, 1 through 14. The third dichotomy was this principle of promise and the principle of the law, of, of works of the law in, in 3, 15 through 22. Uh, the fourth one is sonship to God and slavery under the law in 3.23 through 5.1. And today we're getting our fifth and what I think is our final dichotomy, 
uh, in Galatians 5, 2 through 6, 18. And this is the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. And our, our text today reintroduced us to this dichotomy through its first verse where it says, but I say to you, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse 17 continues, for the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And if and we should read this as a reintroduction, right? Uh, this is a, an idea or a theme that has existed in Paul's letter already. He, he brought it up in Galatians 4, 29. He said, but as many, uh, but just as at that time, uh, for Galatians 4, 29, but just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now where Paul was highlighting in Galatians 4 how the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent from Genesis 3 were and will continue against each other in conflict until Christ returns. Now in Galatians 5, he is bringing the same idea home to his hearers with the exhortation to walk by the Spirit and how this walking or way of living will not gratify the desires of the flesh. This exhortation to, to walk by the Spirit is the main thrust of our text this morning. It is the main point, and it's mentioned here in verse 516, but then also reaffirmed at the, the tail of our passage in 525. 516 says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And 525 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. While the verbs are, are technically different, uh, they have a slightly different emphases, uh, the same message is trying to be conveyed, which is walk by the Spirit. So the, our main question this morning, the main thing that we're trying to understand is, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? If it's commanded, what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? And, and this is uh, the, the working definition uh, that I would submit for our consideration this morning. Uh, walking by the Spirit means living in a way where heavenly Spiritual realities are made manifest in our flesh, in, in our life in the flesh. So walking by the Spirit means living in a way where heavenly spiritual realities are made manifest in our life in the flesh. This statement has, has two parts, and these parts are going to organize the remainder of our, our time together. Right. So the first is that we need to understand... Uh, what these heavenly spiritual realities are that we're manifesting as we walk by the Spirit. And, and so the, these, um, these heavenly spiritual realities are in our text today. And so we're going to explore a little bit the text and see there, there's four core ones. The first um, we, we find in, in verse 18, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the thing, things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. So our, our first spiritual heavenly reality is that, is that you are led by the Spirit. And there are actually uh, two realities in this verse, but the first is that we are led by the Spirit. Now, um, I often don't imagine the verb lead 
having relational connotations, right? You know, uh, um, there's a lead car in a race, right? That it doesn't necessarily have any relationship to the other cars other than it's leading them. But, but think about this for a second, right? Uh, if someone says she leads the team, right? Talking about the U.S. Women's World Cup national soccer team. She's talking, you're talking about a player, right? Saying she leads the team. Uh, what is that saying about the relationship of that woman to her teammates? What does it mean that she leads them? We are, we are saying that her play, right, or her character, or her attitude, or her experience give her influence with her teammates. And, and she uses that influence to direct the team. Uh, she might be directing them to work harder, uh, or rally together against the opponent, or to make a specific play in order to gain an advantage. But the point is that we recognize the phrase, she leads the team, to mean that her relationship gives her influence. Right? She's in relationship with her teammates, and she's able to direct them, change their course, show them where to go. And this is exactly what Paul is getting at in 518. Not that the Holy Spirit inspires us with his play right on the pitch or the soccer field, if you don't know that the pitch means the field, uh, but, but that those who are saved by Christ have a relationship to the Holy Spirit where he directs our lives. So our first heavenly reality is one of relationship with the triune God. But then uh, the second part is that we are not under law. This is the, the next point. We are not under law. We see that in verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So the, uh, the phrase under the law is used five times in Galatians. We see it in 3.23, 4.4, 4.5, and 4.21. And then here again in, in 5.18. The phrase is used to describe our relationship to the law in 3.22 as one uh, under a guardian before the incarnation of the Son. Uh, I'll, I'll read it here. This is 3.22 through 24. But the scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now since Christ has come, being under the law is used to describe the unlawful use of the law by a Christian. Instead of the law acting as a guardian for us, now after Christ has come, it locks us into a yoke of slavery. This is Paul's argument from 4.21 uh, and following, basically through 5.1, uh, where he starts with this. He asks this question of the Galatians. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law. And this argument ends with his, you know, his crescendo in 5.1 where he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So to be under the law after Christ means to be a slave. It means to wear the heavy weight of the curse of the law around our necks with no hope of relief. For all who rely, this is Galatians 3.10, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. But Galatians 5.18, right, it says you are not under the law. So if under the law after Christ, 
uh, appeared means, our verse says. Uh, Galatians 4, 4 through 5, is where we should go to help us understand that. It says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that they might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of a son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So we are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There is only one way to get out from under the law. Only one way to be redeemed by the God-man, Jesus Christ. Only one way to, re- to be received into the family of God. To receive the Spirit, to walk in newness of life now, and to be with our beloved Christ for all of eternity. There is only one way. Galatians 3.2 tells us that way. It says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? The answer is faith. Faith is the only way you grab hold of the promise of Christ. His Spirit, His redemption, His adoption, His inheritance, His love, His life. By believing all that Christ has done, He has done for you, and trusting Him daily to see you home. Do you believe in him? He is calling you even now to believe, to trust, to live for him. He is begging you to turn from darkness to his glorious light. Matthew 18, 28 through 29. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, if you come to him, you have been redeemed by him. He has sent his spirit into your heart to cry, Abba, Father, and you now belong to Christ. In fact, this is the very next heavenly spiritual reality that Paul uses in our text. It's our third kind of point here. Uh, You belong to to Christ. If we skip down to, to verse 24, we, we see this clearly taught by Paul, where he says, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, uh, treasure, raise your hand. All right, I'm going to ask you in a second here the first question from the New City Catechism. Because does the answer ha- say anything about belonging to Christ? Just nod your head if it does. It does, doesn't it? Okay, so... I'm going to read the question to jog your memory, and then we can all say it together. You guys ready? Are you guys ready? Okay. So, what is our only hope in life and death? Wonderful. That's beautiful. Now, uh, this the New City Catechism, it, it's, it's uh, styled after the Heidelberg Catechism, which is near and dear to to my heart. And it has a very similar opening question. Question one of the Heidelberg Catechism says this, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And its answer is this, it says that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful savior, 
Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Christian, you belong to Jesus. You belong to him. Your body, your soul, your life, your death, all of you belongs to your king. And he will watch over you. He will assure you. He will make you wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. This is what it means to belong to your savior. He is yours and you are his. Our last heavenly spiritual reality is, is this, is found in verse 25 and it's you live by the spirit or another way of saying this, you are alive by the spirit. So verse 25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Again, using Galatians to interpret Galatians, I, I think we should go to Galatians 2.20. Now, I, I learned this as a kid, and it was like a little song that we sang at youth group. Uh, it was like, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I live, but Christ is in me. Right, and you do this clap. Um, but Galatians 2.20 says this. I have been crucified with Christ. And this is so precious. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in this, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus loves you. He loves you. Oh, how he loves you. Church, Jesus loves you. And because of that love, the love of God, you now have the life of God in you. And even though you still live in the flesh, in this earthly tent, Christ dwells in you. And in Psalm 24, it says this, and, and imagine this is you responding to your Lord as he comes into your heart. Lift up your head, so gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O gates, Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So there are four heavenly spiritual realities that Paul highlights in this section, exhorting the churches in Galatia to walk by the Spirit. They are mostly about our new relationship with God because of under the law through his death, burial, and resurrection. And as a result, you now belong to Christ in life and in death, body and soul. You are members of and for forever by the Spirit. 
These are heavenly spiritual realities that are grounding Paul's exhortation to you, church, to walk by the Spirit. And again, my working definition here is that walking by the Spirit means living in a way where heavenly spiritual realities are made manifest in our life in the flesh. So already, right, you should be thinking, all right, these truths, these four truths, right, that I'm I belong to Jesus, that I'm not under the law, that I'm led by the Spirit, and that was it. I belong to Christ. I said all four, I think. Okay. Um, right, these four spiritualities, they become, right, they're, they're spiritual right now. They're in the heavenly places. They're, they're true, but they're spiritual, right? They're, Jesus is not here. He's in heaven. He lives among us in our hearts. But we don't see that, we don't feel that, we don't know that always. And so the, the walking by the Spirit is where these spiritual realities, they become real, right? They become tangible, they become experiences of ourselves. And so now we're going to turn to what that means, made manifest in our life in the flesh. All right, so let's, let's start in verse 16 again. But I say... Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Here is the the clear dichotomy that I introduced us to uh, between Spirit and flesh. Walking by the Spirit prevents you from gratifying the desires of the flesh. This is because they are opposed to each other, like the Jedi and the Sith. Right, the light side and the dark side of the force. It's also important to notice here that walking by the Spirit is also about desire. It's also about desire. So think with me for a second. Um, and th- this is the first point of our kind of second bullet here is desire. Why do you do anything? Like, why do you do anything? At some level, desire, right, what you want or what you want to avoid plays a role in all of your actions. Everything you do uh, comes from this, this root of, of desire. Right? I ate breakfast because I desired to no longer feel hungry. Or I ate breakfast because I desired to feel full. Right? Two different kind of desires, but same outcome. Um, I did my homework because I desired to not get in trouble with my teacher. Or... Right? I did my homework because I desired to learn the material. And I, I, you know, there was the different motivations, but they're rooted both in desires. I work hard at, at my job because I desire to provide for my family. But, but why do you do that? Why do you desire to provide for your family? Well, maybe it could be because I desire to be loved by them. Right? You provide because you desire to be loved. And at this level of desire, the flesh and the spirit are at complete odds with one another. The desires of the flesh are one thing and the desire of the spirit is another. And does our text shed any light on what these desires actually are? Like what are the desires of the flesh and what are the desires of the spirit? And uh, my, my, um, my contention is that it does. It, it does tell us a lot about the desires of the, in these heavenly spiritual realities in verse 18. But if you're led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, notice in verse 19 how the desires of the flesh, they produce works. 
We see that in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do, do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, uh, verse 21 ends with a warning, and we'll get to that warning in a second here, but let's sit in this list of works of the desires of the flesh, and what are the desires that produce these types of actions? What are the desires that produce these works? You know, when I, when I look at this list, right, I, I see the flesh desiring pleasure, right? The, de, the flesh desires pleasure, and it, I also see it desiring power, right? Idolatry and, um, you know, I see the, the sense of control, um, right? I, I have enmity, I have strife, I have jealousy because I want control of things. I want to, to have what I want when I want it. I, I just see the desire for what, what others have, right? This jealousy. I see the, the desire for ruling over your fellow man uh, with, with fits of anger and rivalries and dissensions and divisions. These are the desires of the flesh. And, and now, now look at your own life. Do you recognize any of that in your own heart? Have you had any fits of anger this week? Did you want something that belonged to someone else, like their success or their relationship or relationships or their, their social status or their possessions? And, and because of this desire, you know, that's not, um, you know, aspirational, like I want, I want good things in life, like that's not bad to want good things, but uh, this desire is kind of united with this despising of them or despising of yourself. Like your life's not good enough because you don't have, or they're, they're bad because they have these things. That's what envy is. Have, have you sought your own comfort or pleasure at the expense of another this week? Paul wants us to see that ultimately these desires of the flesh, these works of the flesh, they're going to lead to your destruction, to your death. Look, look at uh, the warning in verse 21. It says, it says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who continue carrying out the desires of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. One of the common accusations that gets leveled against Paul the time is that he taught that it was okay for people to continue in their sins. This, this often got leveled against Paul. We even get a small hint of it in Galatians in, in 2, 17 through 18, where, it's at, where Paul writes, but if in endeavoring to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? May it never be, or certainly not, is how the ESV translated it. Uh, For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be the transgressor. But the accusation that Paul is this way is, is absurd uh, because Paul never taught such a thing that uh, you don't have to repent of your sins, right? Paul is clear that you have to repent. And we see, uh, we see that in this warning, right, that those who continue in sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. But a, a beautiful, wonderful, um, encouraging place for me to go 
where Paul deals with this accusation directly is Romans chapter 6. I'll I'll read 6, 1 through 14 for us. Uh, Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How uh, How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like the his, we shall certainly be united with him in order that the body of sin might be brought. For one who has died would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. So let's turn now and deal with our warning in verse 21. Galatians 5.21 says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We all need to hear this warning, but I want to address three, three different groups of people this morning. The first is a group of people who do not identify with Christ, but are here because you're, you're curious. You've heard about Jesus you want to know more about him. This, the message you need to hear this morning is that your sins are seeking to destroy you. Your life is in danger. And the way out of danger, the road away from your destruction is Jesus Christ. Turn to him. Turn away from your sins that seek to destroy you. Turn from them and turn to Christ who loves you and gave himself to redeem you. If this, if this is you, and come and talk to one of the elders. There's, there's five of us. Come, come grab one of us. Or, or, or talk to a person who uh, you came with, invited you. We, we want to serve you as a guide uh, on Jesus' path. Uh, the second group are those listening who are hardened in their sin, but have the outward appearance of belonging to Christ. You act the part of a Christian by building a facade of outward righteousness. You've learned the right things to do and you've learned the right things to say, but inwardly you remain dead in your sins. You recognize inwardly that Christ is not your treasure. You do not trust in him and you're content that your desires are to please yourself. You hide your sins because you are comfortable with them, 
and you want to keep them around. The message that you need to hear this morning is that you are going to die in your sins unless you repent and believe. Your soul will suffer unbearable agony as all goodness and light are removed as you are cast from the presence of your creator. You will not know God. You will not be with Jesus for all eternity. And so please, name of Jesus, to heal the hardness of your heart. Ask him to heal and restore you. Run from your sins and into his loving arms. Please, please come to Jesus. And the third group are those listening who have a very tender conscience. Very tender conscience. You see the weight of all your sins and you have doubts. You hate your sins and you feel so convicted by them, but you suffer alone. You love Jesus, but your love feels so weak. It just feels like you want to love him, but you don't think you actually do. You know that Jesus died to save sinners like you, but you struggle to believe that Jesus died for you, because how could he? When you hear something like, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, you shudder in despair. Little one, the message you need to hear this morning is that Christ is sufficient for you. He is sufficient for you. When he cried out, it is finished on the cross, he meant that all your debt had been paid. When he rose on the third day, he secured your life. Your life is now hidden with Christ in God and nothing can separate you from his love. Keep going. Keep believing. Keep trusting. Keep repenting. And share your burdens with us. Share your burdens with us. Come to the elders. Come to your fellow members. Share your sins. Knowing that we too sin. We sin. We have sinned. And we will sin. And let us restore you with the spirit of gentleness. So that your faith might grow. And you can experience more of the fullness of life Christ has for you now in this life. Right? We want you to bear fruit in Christ. Now, that's our, our third and, and final point here is, is fruits. Notice how in verse 22, um, the desire of the Spirit produces fruit. It produces fruit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now, this phrase, against such things there is no law, it's, it's a dig at the works of the flesh, because that whole list, that whole list of the works of the flesh, they are uh, forbidden in the law of Moses, right? There are so many laws against all those things um, that it's really designed, you, you know, you don't want to do any of those. But the fruit of the Spirit is nowhere prohibited in the whole of the law. In fact, it is the Spirit and its fruit that enable us to actively and actually love your neighbor as yourself, which Galatians uh, 5.14 says is the fulfillment of the law. And what beautiful fruits these are, right? The fruit of the Spirit. They are the product of the vine in whom we abide. 
uh, from John. And as his fruits, they are manifestations of his character and his qualities. And notice the difference in the language Paul is employing to describe the, the difference between right, spirits and flesh. Works, what, what do works conjure up in your mind? They, they con, conjure up in my mind action, right? Works are action. You, you are doing, you are moving something somewhere to achieve a specific end, in this case, an evil end. But fruit implies something very different right? It implies something very different. Instead of doing, you are being, right? You are being. Your connection to the vine and his life flow in you to achieve the good end. And so uh, by abiding in the vine, you are taking the heavenly spiritual qualities and realities of Christ and you are bearing them to maturity in your life. So again, my working definition was this. Walking by the spirit means living in a way where heavenly spiritual realities are made manifest in our life in the flesh. So as you sense, as you go from here and you sense your gentleness growing, right, which is the eighth fruit of the spirit, what is going on as you experience gentleness, like blossoming and blooming in your heart? Well, what is going on is your life, uh, in your life is that the character of Christ, Jesus' character, through his spirit, is breaking out in this world through you. It's breaking out in self-control. That's fruit number nine. You can know that the mystery of Christ is seeping into your soul and you are bearing fruit to honor him. Or as you grow in love, both for God and others, you can experience both as a receiver, a receiver of God's love, but now also as a giver, right? A giver of God's love. It is better to give than to receive. I think Jesus said something like that, right? a uh, giver of God's love, um, the love of the triune God, you can know, you can experience, right, the love of the triune God made alive in your heart, right? You get to taste love like Jesus tasted between him and his father. So it's, it, it, the way that, an, uh, like an analogy to think about it, I, I think it uh, will pull from a parable of Jesus, right? This is uh, in Matthew, I didn't write the chapter, but I think it's chapter 13, Verse 44, it says this, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, let's, let's enter into this parable, right? You're the man. You are the man or the woman, right? Who finds a field with a treasure in it. You sense the rush of finding the treasure, Right, I, I would, it would be pretty awesome to find a bag of like a million dollars in a field somewhere. Like that, that would make me feel electric, right? That's a lot of money. Um, and so you sense this rush in finding the treasure and then you take the risk of selling everything you have to buy that field, right? You, you're basically saying, old life, you're gone. I'm giving you all up so I can get this treasure. You're, you're leaving your old way of life completely behind because you've sold everything. You have nothing left. And you find the seller of the field and, and you make the exchange. And what do you do now with the field and the treasure in the field? What do you do with it? Right? You don't, you don't just like, you know, build a little tent on top of it and sit on it and keep it safe, right? You dig it up and you spend it, right? You spend the treasure, you use it. And this, I think, is a good picture 
of what it means to walk by the Spirit, right? It's a great picture. You're, you're taking the wealth of Christ, right? His love, his joy, his peace, peace, his patience, his kindness, his goodness, his faithfulness, his gentleness, his self-control, and you are spending it in the world around you, right? You, you bring peace to situations where there's no peace. You are patient with people when they do wrong, and you, you bear under suffering well. You, sh- you show self-control when everyone around you is losing their heads. And, and most importantly, right, you are a beacon of love and joy and hope in a world full of darkness. You take the riches of Christ. You've received him as a treasure, and now you put him on display. You enjoy him, and you glorify him by bearing fruit through him and for him. Walking by the Spirit means living a life, uh, living life in a way where heavenly spiritual realities are made manifest in our life in the flesh. And so now uh, I want to conclude with a, a few questions and then uh, giving John chapter 15 uh, the last word here. So question one is this, do you, do you see bearing fruit of the spirit in your life, the highest forms of Christian maturity? Are you looking at your life and saying, am I getting more gentle? Am I getting more gentle? Am I getting more patient? Am I getting more kind? Do I have more joy in my life today? And if, if so, excellent, because it is, right? The fruit of the spirit uh, is literally the character of Christ uh, bearing fruit in your life, and you, you, you kind of distributing the wealth of him to the world. Uh, two, uh, do you desire more fruit of the Spirit in your life? And if so, right, it's got to start with desire. We talked about desire is so important. Um, pray, knowing that God gives good gifts to his children. God gives good gifts to his children. If you want to be more patient, guess what? God will make you more patient. He really will. Um, and three, are you struggling in any way, right? Are you struggling in any way? And and if that is you, share with someone, share it so that we can bear those burdens together. We got to bear those burdens together. And so, uh, we're going to leave us with the, the words of Jesus. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. But this is my, by this is my father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Let's pray. God, we 
we are so grateful that um, it's not up to us, that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so it's not about us trying harder or striving more or, or building up uh, strength that we don't have. But Jesus, it's about you and coming to you and, and opening up our arms to you and receiving from you. It's about us uh, recognizing our, our deep, deep need and running to you to be saved. You are our strong tower. You are uh, the, the rock in which we find refuge. You are uh, the mother hen who welcomes us under the shadow of your wing. You protect us. And so Jesus, we, we just confess before you what you already know, uh, that we are desperate uh, for you. Come to us, Lord, heal our hearts where we are, uh, where we are blinded, open our eyes, where we are rebellious, um, end our rebellion, where we are, are weak and weary, uh, strengthen us and heal us and bring us peace. Uh, you are great, Lord, and greatly to be praised. Amen.